Welcome to Amato's fifth quarter podcast. Listen to incredible conversations with former high-profile AFL, A-League and NBL players who discuss their lives and respective professional sporting careers. Previous guests welcomed on the podcast include... Dustin Fletcher, Al Green, Travis Storm, everybody, Tyson Edwards, Brett Maher, Dale Kicker, Eugene Greenwich, Kevin Brooks, Jack Fitzpatrick, Bill McDonald, Sam Jacobs, Calvert, Marcus Ferris, Sean Reddish, Tony McIntyre, Andrew Vlahoff, Graham Corn, Brian Curl, Jason Ekamanis, Chris McDermott, Mike Ellis, Kevin Lich, Matt Smith, Michael Brooks, Brendan T, Jordan McMahon, Brett Fitt, Matt Shanahan, Rupert Stapwell, Dusty Rakeheart, Sam Gibson, Ricky O'Loughlin, Dylan Addison, Daniel Georgeski, Dom Tyson, Sergio Fendi, Adam Snyder. Links to all previous episodes are down below for your listening pleasure. But without further ado, let's get into this next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. Transition, the Brisbane Roar premiers, now title winners, champions of Australia. The 17-year drought is over. All hail the Kings. Sydney, the NBL 22 champions. 3-0 sweep. They win it. 97 to 88. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Welcome everyone to episode 38 of Amado's Fifth Quarter Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy the content I produce for you all, and I trust you're all doing well. All is good on this end. For tonight's show, the 38th installment of the podcast, we're joined by AFL Premiership player and crafty forward of the Sydney Swans and the St. Kilda Saints, Adam Schneider. Throughout this conversation, we discuss growing up in Osborne, a small country town with a population of 10. Yes, you did hear that correctly. His first season at the Sydney Swans, sharing a locker room with the great Tony Lockett. The 2005 AFL Premiership, breaking the 72-year South Melbourne slash Sydney Swans flag drought. The heartbreaking one-point grand final loss to the West Coast Eagles the following year. The amazing Swans versus Eagles rivalry from 2005 to 2007 and the intensity of those matches. Moving to St Kilda and his relationship with Ross Lyon. The 2009 and 2010 grand final losses, including the draw and the bond he had and still has with his St Kilda teammates. The departure of Ross the boss, the tough rebuild of the Saints and his eventual retirement in 2015. From 2002 to 2015, Schneid's played 228 games in the AFL, scoring 259 goals. He played 23 finals, five grand finals. He is a one-time AFL Premiership player in 2005, as well as a one-time AFL preseason Premiership player in 2008. Let's welcome from the Sydney Swans and the St Kilda Saints, Adam Schneider. Schneider! Schneider! 
Schneider. Schneider, well done, and kicks the goal. That was Schneider turning the clock back. We're going to get Great up the rebound the here, BT. Schneider marks. Left footer. Bounce. Steady. No one goes at him. He can nearly go all the way and drills a goal. Schneider. Did he take the mark? Oh, Schneider. How brilliant was that? Adam Schneider. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and today we've got 2005 Premiership player from the Sydney Swans and the St Kilda Football Club, Adam Schneider. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on here tonight. No worries mate, thanks for having me. Ten years since your final season in the AFL. I understand you spent some time at GWS since then. What have you been up to since retirement and how have you found the transition out of football into the quote-unquote real world? Yeah, look, mate, it's a really good question, that, and it's something, you know, every player faces at some stage, and when I finished up, took a couple of months off, and I got married that year and went on a honeymoon. Yeah, I just sort of wanted to slow down. I, I enjoyed the coaching side and teaching part of things, but then I realised it was, you know, I just need to sit back and, and not jump straight into it. And then I just wanted to have one more season of footy with, with a mate of mine, Stevie Milne, at Bo Morris. So I, I did that. I got to go home and play with my mates at a local club as well, just to kick a couple of games off, so... Yeah, that was good. Did that for a year and, and tried the real world with some work, two years. And sort of my second year of that was I finished playing and, and started coaching Bowen Morris Footy Club in the Bapa. So did that. And then, yeah, once that finished, the opportunity came at the GWS Times to go up there as a coach and yeah, jumped at that for the last four years and really enjoyed it. Is coaching in the AFL at a senior level something that is of interest to you in the future? Uh, yeah, look, mate, I really enjoy it. I really love my time there and I actually left last year. I still had a year to go on my contract, but just with what happened during COVID, we were away for two years in a row. We were told we were going away for 10 days. We didn't come home for 72 days. And my poor wife with three kids at home was, was homeschooling by herself and she just sort of thought it's not fair on the family in case we have to do it again. And, and Sydney being so expensive, just financially going backwards and the soft cap of the coaching, our wages got cut by 38%. So we couldn't, afford to live there anymore pretty much and yeah we just sort of said look let's take an opportunity to step back and move to the country and I'm coaching footy team in the country and doing some work out there as well but I really do enjoy the coaching and uh, watching young kids come through their career professional sport and obviously at the highest level it's something I've done for, for 20 years so it's, it's sort of all well, what I know best and I'm a professional at it for 20 years so yeah no I really enjoy it mate and I think you know one day down the track I'd, I'd like to get back into it. You mentioned the country, so that brings us into sort of your early days. You're from Osborne in New South Wales, quite a small town with a very, very small population. And I understand you grew up on a farm. Yeah, sure, mate. Grew up in Osborne, population about 10, 2,000. It's basically just a footy over with a netball court, tennis court. Do you say no, 10? Yeah, the next population is zero, mate. Really, it's just a farming community. It's wow. all brown, netball, tennis. Got a burnt-down school up the road, but no houses. But an unbelievable story, Osmond is, mate, to be honest. The last 25 years, I think we've been in 17 grand finals and probably won 14 or 15. So, very successful club. And I just grew up there, mate, on a two, two kilometres away from the Oval, on a farm, and went to school 20k away in the closest town and used to come home and go down there for kids to school with your two brothers and, and run around. So, yeah, grew up out there, mate, and absolutely loved it. And, that's why as soon as I finished footy, I was super keen to get back and, and play a game for mates still running around there. But yeah, it's a pretty unique story, mate. And it's an, un- an unbelievable club. So what was farm life like growing up? 
Yeah, look, it's good. I've got two older brothers who thought I was third in line and got all the shit jobs, so to say. They gave me all the hard work. <laughs> but um, no, it's good fun. I, I love the country. Really enjoyed that side of things. I went away to a boarding school in year seven to ten in Leeton. And then the, probably the footy opportunity wasn't the highest over there. So I went to Wagga after that for two years in school and, and then got drafted when I was 17. But yeah, like I said, I used to always get home and still do at the moment, get back to the farm whenever I can. That journey when you when you're coming through the ranks and you go through the TAC Cup, was that the stage when you realised you, you could potentially be good enough to play professional level? To be honest, looking back, I was just a kid who loved playing footy. I didn't think too much about it. I just went out there and played footy. When I was sort of I played in the three grand finals for the senior team and one was I was 14, 15, 16. So I started at a very young age and Ideally, my mum wasn't too excited about it, playing against men at 14. So I had to sort of sign a contract with her to say I'll only play against the bottom teams, but, which is probably the dumbest thing to do because, you know, the bottom teams chasing it, they'll try and punch in the head to try and stop you instead of actually beating you. But, um, yeah, just probably from there on, when I was seven, I was in high school in year nine, started going to the Rams, New South Wales uh, under-18s Rams competition at Stack Cup. And it's sort of limited over there because it's sort of a bit of a rugby-dominated area. Yeah, the opportunity to come to move to Wagga and sort of go from that. And probably that year when I was 17, we sort of played Tack Cup. And I actually only played 11 games at Tack Cup. I had a bit of a shoulder injury and played the sort of state level there and got drafted as a 17-year-old for Sydney Swans. So do you remember the moment you were drafted? Because I imagine back then it wouldn't have been televised. How did you find out back then? A very funny story, actually. It was sort of televised the first couple of years just before us was on TV and, and our year was the, the super draft they call it and Gary Ablett and Luke Hodge and yeah of course yeah, yeah. and that wasn't on TV that was that was off we had to listen to all the internet or we had to look it up on the internet so we're sitting in my house on the country you know JDK is from a decent big town of Wagga and the internet was never great back on the dial up days when you had to wait for it two minutes to actually work and anyway we're sitting there going through it and I really wasn't expected to get drafted because I was 17 I was a young I was sort of an underager for it, so I was just sort of watching, going, oh, this would be nice. About halfway through, the internet crashed and didn't work on us. I'm like, oh, God, we didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go, what to do, how do we check this out? So the country, you know your neighbours well, drove down to the neighbours' house about two or three k away, the doigs, and they weren't home, so I said, oh, what do we do? So I took one of my friends and neighbours, we just sort of broke into their house and hopped on their computer and, and watched the rest of the draft on there, and I think Mickey Martin was drafted to Carlton from North Melbourne at 665 or something like that. And, and yeah, then after that, I was pick, I think it was 66 or something like that, and picked the Sydney Swans. And the next day, stuff and, and two days later, I went up to Sydney, moved up there from the country. That's a great story. Were you like close? Yeah, we, were you close enough where you could do that? Oh, went to school with, yeah, doing one of the debates. And, yeah, I was only, what, 17 years old, but that's what you do in the country. You sort of help yourself a little bit, you know, I'm in trouble. <laughs> We knew where the spare key was, and I think the door might have been open, to be honest. We just sort of walked in and set his computer up, and, and off we went, yeah. Refresh, refresh, after every couple of pictures pop up, and you look for your name. Wow, what a story. That's awesome. Your first season at Sydney is really interesting. You, you didn't play a game in that first year due to injury. That was 2002. Yeah, first year, I had a crack in my foot. They found me on Monday, so I was in the moon boot for eight weeks, or I was out of action for about four months, so... Got back and played three games, I think, in the reserves, and then I caught pneumonia. And then I missed the rest of the season and come back for two finals games in the VFL and played in the grand final against Port Melbourne in the VFL, which, oh, sorry, against Geelong, four Port Melbourne, because we were affiliated with Port Melbourne back then. 
yeah, we lost the grand final to Port Mel- uh, to Geelong. We had Gary Ablett, James Kelly, and a really good team. So, yeah, first year was a bit of a write-off. In terms of Sydney's first team, so Rodney was the coach at that time, and, and that was the year that Tony Lockett came out of retirement. So wearing the infamous number 46, played the three games for three goals that year. Yep. Now, I understand you never actually played with Tony Lockett, and you were only young at that time and had your injury issues and, and all that, but did you have much to do with Tony Lockett in that one year you spent on the list with him? Did you get to know him personally or build a relationship with him or anything like that? Greatest goal kicker in AFL history such a presence. Did you did you have much to do with Tony Lockett? And the greatest goal kicker in AFL history is looking now to the serious business of playing at the top level again after a successful return at a weekend practice match. Tony Lockett was back kicking goals for the Sydney Swans in a game against Essendon and now has his sights on once again writing his name in the history books. It's the sight Sydney fans haven't seen for more than two years. Tony Lockett mean and keen to make a successful comeback. Lockett's return drew more than 12,000 to North Sydney Oval and although he played just two quarters for Sydney in the 15-a-side practice match against Essendon, he left a lasting impression. I had that many full backs in the AFL. They had a party the year he retired. It's just taken take them as an all, all, they're all suckers. He's had a bit of a rest and he's back. While his scoring statistics weren't critical, two goals and three behinds, his presence looms for the good of the game. We just keep moving around, just keep mixing up and you know, just try and keep the opposition guessing a bit. You know, it's been a good step forward today. Yeah, well, funny you say that. Yeah, I did a little bit, probably because we were both injured and rehab a fair bit. So I got to spend it. He was a country boy as well. He didn't, wasn't a city life or anything like that. So, yeah, look, had a bit to do with him and spent a bit of time. And he's a ripping bloke, mate. He, he was unbelievable. And just sort of a country guy. Yeah, just enjoyed talking to him in the country and hated the city. So he was good, mate. And I remember doing a lot of stuff with him and... I remember probably one of my first couple of times with him was standing there and you do and you go to do a bit of touch and peel work and he goes, Adam, it's nice, can you just kick a few into my hand? You know, it's just so I can practice his marking. And I would have been two metres away at the most and I was kicking to him as hard as I could, trying to make him drop these marks. I was standing two metres away just banging into him and I don't think he ever dropped one of them. I'm just going, wow, this is what the AFL is yeah, all about. Wow. This is that's what this guy is. So, yeah, it's my first memory of him. Yeah, that's awesome. Quite a reserved character, but he seems like he's quite approachable. Approachable in if you're just generally chatting. He doesn't like the sort of presence that comes with being a good AFL footballer, the player it is. He sort of hated the limelight. But yes, if you're in a conversation with him, he's an absolute ripper. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So uh, going on to the next season, that was the season where you became a regular in the team. Paul Roos takes over that year. Um, you play pretty much every game. And you had your first taste of finals football. You played in a prelim against Brisbane. I would assume that was the year when you, you realised you were genuinely capable of playing consistently at AFL level. Um, probably, it's hard to say. When I was a kid, when you're young, you just play footy because you love it. Um, and looking back, that's all I did. I just loved playing footy. And first year, and you're secretly confident in your own ability. I guess you have to be if you want to you play AFL. But... Um, yeah, I just sort of enjoyed it. We got to like set a prelim final and we only missed out by not much at all. And I guess that just sort of made the passion more. And uh, yeah, look, I had ups and downs as well throughout the rest of my career. No doubt about it. But to be looking back, I was pretty lucky to play every game in, in the second year and, and play in a prelim. And what was it like being around those Swans players? So some of the greats, 
you know, Adam Goods, Michael O'Loughlin, Brett Kirk, Jude Bolton, Barry Hall. Uh, can you give us some insight into playing with some of these guys? Oh, mate, it's, I've been... That's one thing I've sort of looked at, like how lucky I've been over my time with some of the people I've played with. I've sort of... You know, asked who's the greatest player I ever played with, but I sort of can't answer. But, you know, Mickey O'Loughlin was... You know, me still a mate for life, and a lot of them are, but he's... he's he was unbelievable as a clubman and a footballer. Adam Goods could turn a game in five minutes. Paul Kelly was someone who, when my first year there, he just blew me away about what it is to be a footballer and how you got to train. Kirky, unbelievable leader. Barry Hall, all he is, he's very tall with him around you. But Leo Barry and some of these guys at the time as well, is unbelievable. Lucky to go through such an experience like I did with them. And what about playing under Paul Roos? So, first season was with Rocket Eat, but all your playing time at Sydney was under Paul Ruse. How did you see him as a coach and what was your relationship like with Paul Ruse? Yeah, no, Ruse was funny. Like I said, we took over halfway through my first year and to be honest, I don't think Rocket knew my name at all the way it worked back then. And Ruse took over and he was good, mate. He was a good coach. He, was, he did a really good job turning the team around and I don't know, the relationship was fine. I was just a young kid, like I said, when you're a young kid, you just play footy because you love it. So he was pretty good in starting our career off and got us some really good success. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick break on A5Q. I want to talk about Cappuccino's, the perfect mobile cafe for your event catering needs. Established in 2019 in Adelaide, South Australia, Cappuccino's is our family business, here to provide you with freshly brewed, hot barista-made beverages on wheels, using locally roasted La Crema coffee beans with our preferred blend included for any event needs. Cappuccino's caters for weddings and engagements, sporting events, school, university and work functions and birthday parties, just to name a few. We pride ourselves not only on delivering warm, smooth and delicious coffee at a great price, but also fantastic professional customer service with a smile. If our customers walk away satisfied, it means our job has been done correctly. We also cater for meal deals including bacon and egg rolls, hamburgers and hot dogs upon request. If you're based in Adelaide and need catering for your next social event, book with Cappuccinos by visiting our website at www.cappuccinos.com spelled C-U-P-P-A-G-I-N-O-S, link in the description below, or contact us directly via phone at 0418-894-570 or email at cappuccinos at hotmail.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and help spread the word. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, speaking of the success, we're on to the 2005 Premiership, which I've been very keen to chat to you about. So Sydney had been building for a while to this point. They'd been around the mark making prelims and such. But you get to the grand final in 2005 against that that really, really good, tough West Coast Eagles team with, you know, Judd, Cousins, Cox and Kerr, etc., it's a low-scoring, tight affair. You played really well, and you get up by four points. Arguably the most iconic grand final mark ever, Leo Barry. What's the feeling like of running onto the MCG grand final day and achieving something that every athlete aspires to achieve? And we're away in the grand final of 2005. West Coast versus Sydney. Crouch with four or five to beat. Oh, well done. Buchanan now. Just got it onto his boot. Still a chance. Schneider it is. Can run in and he loves these. And he puts it away. 
Jared Crouch, magnificent against the odds. He just got a tap of the ball into space. We'll have a look at it coming up here. Clever, he wasn't hits it? the ball out into space. Good tackle by Wiraponda. And Schneider just shins the ball forward. O'Loughlin with a clever handball and the finish off. But that's the value of Jared Crouch. He's the one who set that up. And just, again, magnificent football, Jared Crouch. The pace, the thinking, to put the ball out into the path. And uh, Schneider, he couldn't get a kick cleanly that time. O'Loughlin fed it up to him. And Adam Schneider ran into an open goal. And whilst they've had all the play, the West Coast Eagles, Sydney trail by just four points. Got some great protection by O'Keefe Crouch. 11th goal of the season for Adam Schneider. Sydney by four. Heads along the boundary line. Oh, good mark by Cox. Cox throws it onto the left. One last roll of the dice for the oh. Eagles! Leo Barry, you star! Bob Murray reincarnate. The longest premiership drought in football history is over. For the first time in 72 years, the Swans are champions of the AFL. Of motive, it is exactly how you picture it. Probably a bit of a blur when you look back at it, but it just you got to concentrate in the moment, obviously. But my advice, if you're in that moment or someone is, you go out there in the warm up or the pre game and just soak it all up because you're thinking about it for so long. And like I said, some people for 30 years they think about it. And you get out there and just embrace it, and then you sort of come back in and say, Right, I've had my moment, I've enjoyed it, looked around, this is fantastic, but now I've got to switch on. You know, you try and play in a grand final and try and win it when that feeling of the crowd and it's hard not to sort of pick it up and I've got some great memories of uh, unbelievable noise but also some noises from later experiences that still haunt me so um, it's definitely an unbelievable experience and you know the moment when the siren goes like I said, that's probably a blur looking back but you know when we did win at the sign of siren I was on the bench at the time Leo took that mark you just the anxiety is just running through that roof because you you have no control when you're on the bench or, or whatever it is but so I went and Jason Ball, they ruckman, just picked me up and threw me to the ground and you just run around and you hope, you don't know where you're running, you just run and hug, hug your players and tell them you love them. And, oh, I've probably told hundreds of people that night I loved them and just a moment then to sort of see your family and your friends who, who go through all the emotions with you. And that was probably one thing I learned was my brothers and mum and dad, just to see the emotion ride they, they went through as well and what it meant to them. You sort of got to go, oh shit, this is like, not just me who's feeling, this is so many people you can impact. and. You know, you sacrifice so much and I moved from Osmond, the population of two houses of 10 people to, to Sydney where a million live up there and hated every minute of it. The first one, I always wanted to go back to the farm and the country. You sort of pinch fast forward yourself and go, you know, a premiership player. It's, it's quite an unbelievable experience, mate. It's something I'll never, ever take for granted, that's for sure. Yeah, that's an amazing insight. And one thing a lot of premiership players talk about is the bond that you have with your premiership teammates, so the 22 that played, plus obviously the coach. Can you speak to us about that, the bond that you guys have, knowing that you you went out there that day and you actually won a premiership together and you've got that premiership to symbolise that bond? Yeah, it's definitely a true thing. And it's not just for success, though, either, to be honest. So when you go through such an experience or a life experience, it's probably any business or you know, something big in a business transaction or whatever, but it's life and you build up to something and there's sort of that end goal at the end there and you achieve it or at least you set yourself out for it. It's probably like anyone running a marathon. 
you beat yourself up for that moment. And when it happens or when you, you can do it with someone else and you experience it, it's like, well, it's not just that moment when the siren goes. It's the five years before it that you've all put in the work for it. The losses you've had, it's the hard work you've done. It's the moments where you've nearly punched on with your teammates because you've, you've worked that hard and you're training that hard and you're fighting for your spot and, and everything. And it all sort of gets there and it's like, well, you look back there, that's what it's all, all about and it's all worth doing it. This is what we've achieved. So the bond's real a little bit with the St Kilda we'll speak about maybe later but you've just got this relationship for life and you're not mates with everyone that's true you can't be mates with everyone because everyone's different in life but you've just got this connection with these people that if you walk past them you'll definitely stop and shake hands and give them a hug and tell them you love them and call them a PP a premiership player and yeah you have the moments where you just you get sort of friendship life difficult to compare but when you're on the other end of the spectrum so the following year 2006 the same occasion, same team, grand final against West Coast. Again, low scoring tight, but you fall short by a single point. Now, watching the replay of this game, it seems as though West Coast were always just slightly on top in general. I imagine that one would have been incredibly difficult to deal with. One point grand final loss. Well, he's on a big Barry Hall. That is a surprise. As McVeigh and Cousins get into it before the opening bounce, we're away in the grand final of 2006. In the ruck, it's going to be Cox against Jolly. As he goes inside 50, from the side was Roberts Thompson. Schneider! 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 Well, it wasn't a contested mark, but it was a great drumming goal. Sometimes you've just got to go forward to score. And good coverage there from Jude Bolton and a wonderful shepherd. And on his right boot, a natural left footer composed himself warm enough. Wow. Adam Schneider has brought Sydney to within one point. There can't be long. There cannot be long to go. What the West Coast Eagles lead by a point. Can the Swans do it? Simon! Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? The West Coast Eagles are the premiers for 2006. And the Stars, Cousins and Christian now have the medal they really want to put around their neck. 12 years of disappointment over for West Coast. They have won their third premiership in history. And this time, the heartbreak is suffered by the Sydney Swans. I think if you look back at the history, I think the six games we played the West Coast Eagles in them two years, two during the season and two finals in each and whatever it was, there was only 12 points between us those six games. Now that's an unbelievable record. You probably won't see that many other places in the other teams. To be the difference total in points against each other was only 12. Quite phenomenal. So look, I think if you look at the footy guys or you talk about the footy guys, it's over that period, that six games, if you said West Coast won a grand final and Swans won a grand final, you'd probably say that's fair. You know, you look at it, you had to lose two of them to haunt you for life. But yeah, to win one and to lose the next, oh, God, it hurts you. It hurts you because, like I said before, it's that feeling you put, the effort you put into it, not just that year, that, that game, that five years before it or whatever it is. And to go out there and just lose, it's, it's heartbreaking. Like the, the ecstasy versus the feeling of losing, it's just... It's so hard to describe. But, oh, you, I have to look back now, mate, and just say, look, we're lucky to 
win one and probably both teams deserve to win a flag after what we achieved the rival we had with them. So do you remember what it was like after the game in the change rooms and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. You were down and chatted and obviously because you give absolutely everything for a game of footy in a grand final, there's not much left in the bank and it's not just that one game, it's similar to the emotions your family carry with you, they see you, they see you upset. The feeling of if only is it probably playing your mind? If only this happened or if only that, but I think the greatest thing we probably could do and probably a lot of the players on the day is look, we had a shock in the first quarter, we were terrible. I think they come out and absolutely smashed us. In the first quarter, so we are chasing after all day, but oh, I believe we probably, we spoke about great effort was probably one of their mottos. Just give great effort. That's all for what you've got to do, whatever's going on, as long as you're giving great effort. The skill and the plan will take care of itself, but if you don't give great effort, you won't get the results. So I think, you know, you sort of hold yourself high a little bit knowing you gave absolutely everything. And when you give everything and you don't get the result, it softens a little bit. But if you don't give everything and you don't get the result, then it's, you look back and go, we have regrets. But I don't think there's as many players or people that have regrets for, for those six grand finals. Seems like you sort of think more about 2005 and the fact that you actually got one rather than thinking, oh, we could have gone back to back or this happened in 06. Um, oh, no, I look back if I saw my whole career up and I wish it was reversed because I got it in my first, like when I was young, the first one I played in. And I've had the experiences after it. And you know how good it is. You probably took it for granted at the time. When you get older in your career, you like to give anything to have that moment again. You just think it's going to happen and it didn't happen again. So, oh, look, you, you definitely have... Oh, there's not a moment ago I think about what, what happened in that game and some of the mistakes that happened and whatever goes on. It's just, you know, smothered by someone at the end, I think it was. It cost us the goal and all these little things. It just sort of ticked over in your mind, obviously. But then you got to sort of wake up and can't live in that moment for too long. you got to brush yourself off and off to go again. Throughout those years of, say, 2005-2007, the West Coast-Sydney rivalry was definitely the best rivalry in the AFL. And like you mentioned, there were six games in those three years and the margins were 4-4-2-1-1-1. Like, that's almost unheard of. What was it actually like to play in those games? Did you thrive on those occasions? Was it stressful? Cousins coughed it up. Last roll of the dice for the Swans. Bolton puts it inside 50 and there he is again. Where's his opposing was jolly, and there it is! The Eagles are through to the preliminary final, but I'll tell you what, only just in the end. What a game of finals football to start the 2005 NFL final series. It was just a magnificent final. It was tough, it was close, it was low scoring, but West Coast Eagles did enough to get up and win. No one caught up this one. How long? No one's got a clue. Another Saturday night special. Roberts Thompson is the man who swats it inside 50. Phillips is there for Sydney. What an incredible game of Australia. Cousins can't break. O'Keefe for Sydney. Glass and Hall at it again as they have been all night. The Swans have done it again. They have won a magnificent victory on Is it a free? No. Hunter put the whistle away there. Lots of Swans there. They just can't escape. The congestion, unbelievable. Who's going to break the shackles? Rose have got it away. It's over. Wow. Just another chapter in this incredible rivalry between the West Coast Eagles and the Sydney Swans. An unbelievable summer has produced an amazing effort of will. It was awesome, mate. It was so good. 
I think there was so much respect between the two teams that it was just a footy war for two hours. Like, it was on, and you knew it was, the games were that hot. The build-up, obviously, with the media made it even hotter. You go to Perth, very hostile crowd, passionate supporters. You're just topping abuse. You went out after the game, you get a mouthful, you get an earful. But it just, that's what you play footy for. It was awesome. The lead-up to it was unreal, and, you know, you got to try and keep a lid on it. But, like I said, this is why you play footy for moments like that. You sort of find a bit. And the games, were, they weren't just close games. They were high-quality pressure games that were close. It was outstanding football you're part of and like I said it's a pretty phenomenal stuff that happened with the scores being so close you just sort of sit back and look and go geez, it was nice to be a part of that. Just totally entertaining just the best games to watch. That's what I mean that's what I talk about the height the standard of the footy it was ridiculous and you'd walk off the game and you might have lost by two points but like I said that's when you know you gave absolutely everything because it was just a footy war and you go well okay we weren't good enough today. Respect to them. Well done. Let's go again next time we meet you. So, and that sort of proved over a long time. Halftime break here on Amato's fifth quarter podcast. And I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone who has tuned into the show. The support is very much appreciated. And I hope this episode is finding you well. If you're enjoying the show, it would be a massive help if you could consider subscribing and leaving a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps feed the podcast algorithm and boost the show's visibility, which will therefore allow for other Australian sports tragics to see and listen to the show. Five stars, of course, would be fantastic, but I'll leave that up to you. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. just missed out on back-to-back in 2006 and, and the next year, 2007, you weren't quite as good. You lost the final to Collingwood and, and you were straight out. Now, this was your final season at the Swans because you and Sean Dempster end up moving to St. Kilda the following year. Now, if my research is correct, I believe you were actually contracted to Sydney at that time and you had every intention of staying. What happened that got you to St. Kilda? Yeah, that's true. I, I just probably signed a two-year deal Oh, not long before, and a month probably a month before that last game, if I'm correct. We lost our first final, and Ruzi was pretty disappointed and animated. And what happened is I was in Bali on a holiday, and when you when you got a contract, you don't you can say no to being training, no to being traded. So I was in Bali with my now wife, girlfriend at the time, and a mate of ours, and got a phone call from Ross Lyon at St Kilda, and Ross had coached at Sydney previous years. He rang me up and. It looks nice. He's pretty straight down the line. He goes, look, I know you love a bourbon. I know you love a good time. But I think you play footy and we want you to come to the Saints. I said, oh, right, oh. Thanks, Ross. Appreciate the phone call, mate. But I just signed a two-year deal. I'd probably stay. And I bought a house just before it. The life was sort of planning out well. And I just met my partner. And so I sort of said no. And second day, Lenny Hayes called me from Saints. And we all know how good a player Lenny was. And everyone loves Lenny, right? <laughs> so if Lenny Hayes is calling you, you got to take his call. And similar thing we'd love you to come and play at St Kilda and I thought well, what's going on here and sorry Lenny thanks for calling the next day I sort of thought about it I thought well obviously Sydney have to allow this so I sort of said well what's going on and I hadn't heard from Ruzi so I was pretty disappointed and quite confused so I rang Ruzi and said mate what's happening I'm, I want to play I've just signed a contract what's going on and he goes oh look mate there's young guys coming through and we think it might be in your best interest to go to another club. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Well, why would you sign someone six months before this? Anyway, and so I sort of got off the phone to that and sort of thought, well, 
didn't really leave me much confidence and thrill, you know, just what we've done for the club and what we've been through the last couple of years. And spoke to a manager and looked at St Kilda's list and, and looked at obviously the conversation I had with the coach and the opportunity at St Kilda. And, you know, the easy thing to do would have been just to stay at Sydney, push through the two years and, and try and better my career there. But I thought, you know what? Saints had a really good up and coming young list with some really good players. And so I said, it's going to be hard to get out of your comfort zone and, and give it a go. And, and looking back, you know, I believe in good things happen to good people. And it's probably the best thing that, that happened to me and the third my career and challenged myself. So looking back, it was the best decision I had to make. When clubs sign players or, or you know offer contracts to players, that's obviously approved by the coach. I don't understand why they would sign you and then tell you your best interest to look elsewhere. Was that- yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why I was confused. I didn't get it at the time. But now I'm sort of out of the game and understand it's a bit of a business transaction these days for the clubs. Players are business transactions. You know, obviously coming off two grand finals, they're paying a lot of guys good money, well-earned money, which is for sure the salary cap. And sometimes they need to offload some players. Not that I was on big money, but they need to offload some players to sort of make some space in the cap. And reading between lines, it was probably me and Sean. They thought, here's at least we can get rid of two players and a bit of money and get one back in. So, and that was the, you know, the draftee, obviously. So they were on an automatic, you know, a certain amount of salary. So they could have been that, mate. And that was just sort of the first opening to what business is in AFL. So did that affect your relationship with Sydney at all? Did you have any ill feeling toward the club after that? Or did you just accept that it is a business and you just sort of graciously no, moved at, on? At the time, I mean, you know, you're a young kid, you don't know about that stuff. But oh, look, I'll... I'd lie to you. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't dirty at Rooney at the time. Yeah, definitely. I and mean, I think all players are. You get traded for one club and told that you're not wanted. But there's a bit of a chip on your shoulder. But I was quick to sort of flip that around, mate. Can't live in, you know, like that your whole life. So, you know what? I'll just go down there and I'll prove you wrong. And, yeah, it sort of motivates you in another way as well, just to, just to prove them wrong and try and have success. And I think we played him in the round one that next year. <laughs> so it didn't, didn't have to wait long before I played him. And it's a funny thing, but it worked out well. So 2008 is your first year there, and that's, as you mentioned, that's when they're really starting to build. So Ross Lyon is the coach. They had that amazing team with Rewalt, Kaczynski, Montagna, Hayes, Milne, Dalsano, Goddard, could go on. You made the prelim final after missing the finals the year prior. Then the grand finals in 2009 and 2010. What was it like being a part of that amazing St Kilda team under Ross Lyon? And how do you sort of compare, say, the Sydney 2005-06 team to the St Kilda 2009-10 team? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think I ended up 98 games for Sydney and 130 or something like that. Well, the Saints have spent reasonable amount of time there, six and, and eight, I think it was. So when you compare footy clubs, it's very hard. Footy clubs are footy clubs. They're all very similar in their own way. Some are better in little ways here and there. The people are generally the same. So I can't judge them on difference. I'm both very good footy clubs very good people at the time and I've got mates for life. What I spoke about a bit earlier just about going through something with, with other people and, and getting to the grand final. Although we didn't win a grand final at the same, we've still got that same bond I'd say that I've got with my Sydney players because we got so close and we went through some heartache and some hard times but also some really good times. We won 18 straight in 2009 I think it was. The record in the AFL at the moment. So to go through something like that and to get so close in a grand final, it's heartbreaking, but it, again, it motivates you to move on in life, but it makes you a stronger person as well. So the experience of that was unbelievable. The 09 was 
heartbreaking. Like that was the one we probably thought we should have won. And and I talk about regrets, and I, I gave them all. I don't regret that, but I, I definitely made some mistakes on that day that I still think about a lot. I missed three goals once in the goal square, and I sort of feel sick every time I see a highlight of that game because it just brings back these emotions. And I was walking down the street, probably two months later in the park with a mate or something, I had this little kid come up to me and the first thing he said, oh, you know, you're the one who missed them goals in the grand final. I'm just like, it's just a little knife through the heart. So you, you got these feelings and emotions that just, they play on you, mate. And it was 14 years ago or whatever and still sort of playing on my mind. Because I've often wondered this because I've obviously never played the game. Does it actually bother you that much do, do you really think about it and does it really cause a lot of internal pain when you think about things that happen or, you know, shots you missed or close games you, you lost? Does it actually take a lot out of you even after all this time? Do you still think about it oh, regularly? Yeah, yeah, time heals, obviously, mate. Just that in the back of your mind, if you get reminded or see it. It's not like I needed to see a psychologist or, or anything like that because there's plenty of worse things in life and a lot of people are worse off in life and a lot of people would give anything just to play in a grand final. So... If you look at it in that perspective, you sort of slap yourself in the face and say, wake up, mate, you know, shit up and you make mistakes. You learn from it. It's just what you build up in yourself, I suppose, and, and the pressure you put on yourself and the expectations you want to live. And lucky like you've five grand finals and there's what if moments in every single one of them. You know, imagine if I won five grand finals. You, you just go, wow, you know, but then you say, well, you have to, I can only take one. If you're playing five, I think you'd take that every day, wouldn't you? So, Pros and cons, mate, for sure. And I'll probably sound like I'm whinging or complaining here about little things like the Texas anyone, some people give anything to play one. But that's just the way it, it can affect you because you, you put everything into something you sacrifice so much. And this is just in life with anything you do when you're starting your own business, like I said, or you put so much of your life into it and you sacrifice so many things and you get so close but don't achieve it, it's often going to hurt. You're going to think about it for a long time. But in my life, I learned to flip the script, is what I say. and get rid of the poor me attitude you try and do something about it and move on so that's sort of how I've, I've learned from that moment is because I can't change what happened I just need to flip the script and, and move on the 2009-10 St Kilda team they all sing the praises of Ross Lyon now obviously back at the Saints now this year he took you guys to three grand finals he also got Fremantle to a grand final how did you see Ross Lyon and what was your relationship like with him and what sort of an impact did he have on your career Mate, he was outstanding. He, I can't speak highly of him. He's the best coach I have. You know, I've had Paul Roos, Rodney Ede, Alan Richardson, Scott Waters, Ross Lyon. I think there's one more in there. I can't quite think, but I've been so lucky to have some good coaches. But the best thing about Ross, he made is he, you would die for Ross, but he's also a father figure for you. So you knew where you stood with him. He'd tell you straight down the line. So I do a little fat bastard. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that. What shit today, you know, you've made this, you did this, but Five minutes later, I walked past him in the hallway and he's asking, how's your wife and Katie going? How's your three kids, Kobe, Mayer and Mo? Like he, he generally cares. He wants you to get better, wants you to improve. And he would hang out with the, the players. And if we had a function, he was there having a beer. He'd let his hair down. He'd lose his coach perspective and just talk to you as a mate. So you couldn't hate him because he yelled at you. He knew it was because he wanted to make you a better person. And he wanted to make you a better player because he genuinely cared. What he knowledge is through the roof. He's unbelievable. But probably the people people first in years is probably the greatest lesson I learned out of him and to be honest mate I've taken a lot of things that he's taught me into my life in work and in life and in family so yeah I can't speak highly enough of him so he's just a natural leader he knew what make each player tick I think and that was his one of his attributes is 
he knew who so Smilney and I could cop him he could yell at us in half the time of the game and he could tell us right between the eyes how we are going if we are going terribly he'd tell you and he knew he'd respond for some reason we, we just put together like that we just yelled at you respond and other players who might not respond to that they might go into the shell and make it even worse for them he knew how to turn them around in a bad game and how to motivate everyone so the art of coaching is, is relationships and understanding how your players learn and react and, and he was the best I've been at the 2009 grand final against Geelong, you guys were the favourites going in. You'd only lost the two games for that year going into the grand final, minor premiers. It was a wet grand final, massive crowd. You led it every quarter, but unfortunately you fell short by... You lost by two goals, but pretty much a goal. I know Max Rook kicked a goal after the siren, yeah. but it felt like a one-kick game. I imagine that... And you mentioned before that's one that hurts because... You were, without a doubt, the best team in the competition that year, but you still end up as bridesmaids. What are your memories of, of that grand final? Ball goes for Revolt again. Three against him. That leaves some Saints down. One of them, Farron Ray, off the left. A very clever kick for Schneider. To give the Saints the lead for the first time. And he's done just that. St Kilda in front by two points. And he gives to Selwood. What a grand young player he is. And Ling gives Geelong the territory they want. Rook and Fisher burns. It hangs for Mooney. Poking it in the Rook direction. And he can go back. And he can have a shot. And surely any score will do it now. Wonderful kick by Mooney. It's over. The Cats' vindication has arrived. Second in three years, but what a fight it was! Probably summed it up, mate. I thought that was the year we were probably the better team. Most in our time was still out, I believe. Don't get me wrong, but I thought we probably played good footy throughout the whole year, and obviously with 18 straight and only two games, sort of reflect that. Again, we had a great battle with Geelong. I think we're both 14 and 0. That round 14, we played each other. Yeah, the, the game and the goal. Yeah, was, yeah this, and the game itself was just—it was a tough game of footy, wet weather footy, and. It was hard. It was two teams just giving their all and it was bruises after it. I broke his collarbone and Corky's left, right and centre. And it was hard. And then it was, like I said, there was no real team that got away from one another. They were always within striking distance. You talk about a bit of luck in footy at times and you create your own luck, you can say that, but lucky things happen to both teams and unfortunately we just weren't on the end of it and they were just, just too good for us on the day. So. Yeah, it definitely hurt. The reason hurt is because, like I said, we sacrificed so much. You win, you know, 18 straight, you lose two games in a year. You don't think you're going to win the grand final. That's definitely not what we were thinking. It just, it gets taken away from you by one kick, two kicks, say, in the end of it. So where were you on the ground when there was that famous toe poke, Matthew Scarlett, and then the, the Chapman goal? Do you, do you remember that moment? Who goes into the corridor? Oh, almost into Ablett's the corridor. Out. Oh, yeah, he is. Johnson, can he pop it over the top? Ablett somehow's found some space. Oh. At the last minute, Zach Dawson spills it. But a clever soccer by Scarlett to Ablett from 18 metres. He drills it long to the tip of the goal square. Big flyers wanted. Varco, handball's over. It's a snap by Chapman. And Chapman's kicked the goal. Terrific play here by Scarlett, just to volley it off the boot to him. Of course, I remember the moment. I didn't see the topo get timed, but obviously it's in a sense. And yeah, that's what I talk about. That's not luck, that's just moments in games. That was an unbelievable thinking by Scarlett. And 
played off for him. And finally that skidded through. I think Cosy might have been out or away or something like that. So there's moments in games of footy and they had a, a better moment than us. And I had moments and Milne had moments and Minnie McColder had moments, but we didn't take it. Like I said, I had three moments that missed. And you sort of look back at them and it's about games like that. It's about who can have the more moments and take the most of their opportunities when they can. And, and they did. Yeah, there's even that moment late in the game where you and Scarlett were going for the ball and it was rushed through for a point and then the kick in and then the Harry Taylor mark. Yeah, you can name a thousand of them. I mean, you, you lost three grand finals, drew one. Was that the, the toughest loss? Yeah, that was, no doubt. 06, I was just young and just won the year before, so it sort of softened the blow a little bit. And then you start getting a bit older and I was just in the second year at the Saints and we built something so good and a really good season. And yeah, like I said, just, you get there, but then you don't get all the glory. It's quite sad and to watch players, grown men cry and miss out. We're so close, it's just, yeah, it's hard. What about the following year? So you finished third, not necessarily as dominant in 2010, but you still make the grand final against that powerful Collingwood team led by Mick Malthouse. They had Swan, Pendlebury, Cloak, Jolly, your ex-teammate Luke Ball, Didak and, and the like. 100,000 at the MCG. That's the biggest crowd you ever played in front of. They led by 24 points at halftime, but you guys just keep pushing, keep pushing. An amazing game. The third and final grand final draw ever. You had the drama of the... The Brendan Goddard mark and then the Stephen Milne bounce. What was the emotion like when the siren sounded? It was such a weird feeling, even just as a supporter. What was it like as a player to look around and, and it's a drawn grand final? You've got to come back next week. And away we go. The grand final is underway. Gardner has to wait. Up goes Johnny. Hooks it down behind. Guess who? Swan down towards half forward. Bounces inside the 50. Storming up the ground. Cloak missed it. Dawes has got it. Good got him. Pendlebury is through. Over the top. Will it sit to Dodak? Takes him away from goal. Feeds it back to Johnny. Oh, no sign of the Johnny Rebels. He puts it through. Built it away there by Reed. Schneider loves a goal in a grand final and delivers. And the Saints are back in this match in a big way. Opportunity for ball head down. Dynak couldn't control it. Rebound out of the congestion. It runs on and on. Oh. And <laughs> Maxwell tracking it back. Touching it right on the chalk. Watch it again for a moment. It looks gone. He does brilliantly. Schneider. Here is Hayes. Belting forward. Got up! Collingwood has never been behind in this grand final today. The Saints have never been in front until now. O'Brien. Here we go. Hayes. Hayes belting the ball forward. Johnson quickly off the mark. Milner at best. Ball bouncing, scores a level. Oh, no. What are you doing next week? Gee, Do you take the ball there, Stephen Milne? I think he was going to try and take it. It just bounced out of his reach. Goddard, the tap. Del Santo. It's going to be a draw. It's unbelievable. But it's happened. The picture paints a thousand words. Well, we we saw it. What is it now? 1977 and 48. 1948. Oh, no, 19, I didn't say 48, but I saw 77, 
and no, every player out there is thinking, oh, not again. We don't have to go through this week's tension again. In 77, Collingwood led by 27 points at three-quarter time. Today, they led by 24 at halftime. Yeah, mate, it's the most confused I've ever been in, in life. I reckon I'm not the smartest kid going around. I'm going to confuse a fair bit. But my God, I was confused, <laughs> and we all were confused. We just, there was this hush around the ground. It was like... It was actually like someone had been murdered or shot in the grandstand, but you didn't know where to look or what to do because the noise was just, just this eerie noise. No one knew what to say. What do we do? Do I leave? Do we stay? Are we playing next time? Are we come back next week? All these things are running through your head. Is it really a draw? What's, what's going on? And you just you don't know you don't know what emotion to, to sort of feel. Anyway, it was just right over. We got together and they finally said, yep, we're coming back next week. And like, oh, right, okay, cool. So then you start playing little moments in your head about we talk about moments that we just spoke about before there's so many moments in that game as well but the funny thing of that too is is grand final and the change rooms there we, we got together after I think Lenny won the award maybe for best on ground yeah, um, that yeah, game and yeah. after that we all got in there and the coach really said to us hey boys by the way we can't go to our change rooms the sewerage is broken there's shit all through the toilet We've got to go over to the old MCG tour. I, I do remember them saying that the, the change rooms were flooded. But... Yeah, well, then we're like, what else can go wrong with weird in this day? So, <laughs> go into your change rooms and sit around in a circle and have a chat. But Ross, again, was really, really good. And just said, righto, boys, we're going again. We're going again. Next week, we're on. Righto, recovery, switch, didn't ever think about, talk about the game, quickly plan the week. And, and as a player, you, you plan that's your last game of footy. You drive to games of footy going, I've got two hours of pain coming up here. This is going to be hard. Two hours, you drive to a grand final game. I've got only two left of here, beautiful. Get yourself up. I've got two hours left. Let's kick this off. I can give the body a bit of a rest. You leave the ground and, and you have a function after every grand final where you, you buy tickets for your family. They're about 250 bucks a ticket. Spend two grand on tickets for your family and your friends. And they spend 500 or to $1,000 on tickets to come to the grand final. And all of a sudden you go, you're going to do it again? It's like, bloody hell. So we didn't go to the function. We said, no, no function. Go home, boys. See recovery. Off we go. And, and I rang Milne, who's a really good mate of mine, and still is. And that night, Milne's up and about kind of person. And I rang, hey, how you feeling, Milne? How you feeling? What's going on? He goes, mate, we're planning another grand final next week. You get to play in another grand final. You've just played it one, but someone told you you get to play in two grand finals. You're going to say no. As soon as he said that, I'm like, you know what? You're fucking right. We're playing in another grand final. Stop winning, stop complaining, let's move on. We've got an opportunity to do this again. So from that moment, I, I just flipped it and I, and I was ready to go and started thinking about preparation and the grand final. The week's begun again. Before we get into the final stretch of this episode, we need to take one more break here for three-quarter time on A5Q. Now, this podcast is partnered with Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not really achieve this efficiently. If you want high-quality results, you need high-quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair and beard grooming products and tools that will actually get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair and beard thoroughly without burning a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, combs, brushes and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now I would never promote or partner with a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for years now and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. 
Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your grooming game to that next level without breaking the bank, do yourself a favour and check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DMATO10, spelled D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you'll score yourself an extra 10% off on what is already a great deal. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. But for right now, let's get back to the show. What happened in the replay then? Because you had the week to reflect and prepare and it was just a complete blowout. So Collingwood wins by nearly 10 goals and your final, well, it was your final chance in the end to win another flag. It went begging. Did you guys just have nothing left in the tank? They were just dominant from the first siren to the final siren. It's a, it's a very special look on the faces of players when they're walking on the ground. The extra, just the actual intensity of the game. It will be decided this afternoon, one way or another. No impasse here. But lots of passion. Welcome back to the MCG. And a good one to the staff proceedings. Tapped down by Jolly as he did last week. Scramble inside the centre circle. Schneider oh! against the flow. Gets a hand pass down towards half forward. Well in the middle. Calling for the football. Schneider. Will he give it to Rebold? He will. Rebold oh! runs in. Touched up the boots. Oh! oh my goodness. Can you believe that? Wonderful chase by Heath Shaw. He came up behind him like a librarian. He never heard him. Oh, no surprise, everybody else in the library is shattered. Well, what we're seeing now is the best of the best team this season. Yeah, oh, yeah. Collingwood win by their greatest ever margin in a grand final. It doesn't get better than that. I spoke about 09, we were the better team. Um, looking back, Collingwood were the better team for 2010. I think we had a pretty inconsistent year. But also, I think at half time, I think it was two or three goals 13 or something stupid. I thought, you have to mind check that. But I know we didn't kick very well. Accuracy wise, we come in at half time going, right, oh, we've, we've let a few slip. We missed a fair few goals. I'm pretty sure it was 310 or 312, something like that we were. So we, we blew our opportunities. And in grand finals, you can't do that because once another team, you have your opportunities, you miss. They get a sniff and then it just can fall apart. They get a run on it. And that's just what time was doing. We've seen that many times over the last few years. But a good team like that at their peak, you give them a chance, you miss opportunities, they're gonna they're gonna hurt you when they got it and, and they certainly did it. So credit to them, they were too good. And like I said, you bring yourself back to moments where we didn't take them in that first half at moments the week before. But that was probably one where we could still walk off the ground five foot anyway and I felt like I could look my teammates in the eye knowing I'd given everything I could. Just felt like I was just, I gave everything and I was, we were just cooked by the end of that. And so were Collingwood, and, and that's no excuse. But after so on, it was just like, right, they were just too good. So we missed that chance because they were too good. So yeah, it was a weird feeling and it wasn't nice. Playing in the grand final when it's all over, halfway through the last, they're just having the time of their life, having shows on them and having a laugh with each other. And I'm haunted by their noise, only about five minutes to go. Collingwood. 
supporters and put this bloody 70,000 of them or whatever it was, like, uh, the calling or chants going around and it was just echoing and I, I still have nightmares of that noise going around, but it's just another experience and, yeah, unfortunately we didn't get the prize. So, reflecting now over a decade later, that St Kilda side was unbelievable and you were so close to achieving what would have been the second premiership in the club's history. And I understand there is a special bond amongst the players, as you mentioned, but you still don't have that premiership to sort of symbolise the group. Is that something you ever sit and think about? You don't have that premiership to symbolise the bond? Yeah, you do. You look at it, you generally win grand finals, you're going to be remembered. And I'd say I was a five-time premiership player or a two-time, three-time. The bond you're speaking about, it doesn't change the bond. And that's what I was talking about. We lose to it this bond. Every prelim weekend, we catch up in Melbourne. There's generally about 20 to 25 players through that era. They go out for lunch on the, on the prelim every evening. So that bond is still there. Yeah, we didn't have the ultimate success. We don't have that medal to around our neck. But that bond with them players is still the same. And, and that's what I was talking to you about. When you go through something like that and with anyone or any team or or whatever, you still create a bond. And for some reason, in a weird way, it's really stronger in a way because we've failed together. But it's, I don't know, it's just like we've, we've all got this thing where we just we feel sorry for each other. We know we all hurt from it. And it's just a, yeah, it's just a great bond. And as I said, we have 20 boys catching up every year. Going into the next season, so 2011, I recall an interview, I think it was Zach Dawson, and he mentioned going into the 2010 season, you had the fire in the gut to redeem yourself and get another opportunity after the heartbreak of the 09 grand final loss. Going into 2011, after failing again in 2010, was a lot more difficult. Would you agree with this? Because on paper, the team was still very strong, but 2011, things just didn't work out the way they had. You still made the finals, but you were quickly eliminated by your old team, Sydney. Do you think after the 09 and then the 2010 loss, the game plan possibly didn't evolve or it was just a case of aging yeah. players. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think caused the descent in the coming years after that? Oh, I think it's a bit of a bit of everything. Like, it's not like you don't try as hard. No one ever just says, I'm not going to try as hard this year. Other teams get better. Other teams work you out. And that's why you talk about the Richmonds and Geelong's what they've done. That's why they talk about these dynasties. They rarely happen, mate. Like, a dynasty is unbelievable and you've got to respect that. And you look at Richmond's done the last five, six years. Like they've, and it's hard. You look back and you, you talk about, like I said, other teams get better. Uh, your game plan gets worked out. They find ways to go around it. If you drop one or two players here or there along the way, they get a bit older. Your bodies actually go through a lot. And to get yourself up for a grand final consistent footy like that, it, it is tough. It takes a massive toll on the body. And you look at the injuries you caught during it and... And I know what Zach's sort of saying. It's, it's hard to go, right, I'm going to sacrifice everything again. I'm going to put my body through hell. I'm going to put my mental side through hell just to get me up through it. And you can take it off 1% or 2%. Every player drops 1% or 2%. Well, there you go. There's 25% or whatever it is just drops in your team. So it can all add up. And then you tuck all the other stuff on top of it. It, it just sort of adds up pretty quickly. You know, if somebody doesn't hang around for anyone these days, it doesn't wait. And you just got to keep going and chuck a few injuries in for that year. I know I didn't play a lot of footy that year with injuries and it makes it hard as well. So, a bit of everything, mate. It's hard to give an exact answer because, like I said, no one said I'm not going to try this year. But, yeah, when you put so much into something, it does make it harder. Yeah, better than day. Fair call, definitely. 
At the end of the 2011 season, Ross Lyon announced that he was leaving to join Fremantle. Now, I'm really interested in this time because what impact did that make on the playing group? Did you ever anticipate that was going to happen? Did the players or specifically you feel any ill feeling toward Ross at the time for that decision? How did that all play out? Good evening. The St Kilda Football Club has been rocked by the shock departure of coach Ross Lyon. Signing for four years, he's been headhunted by the Fremantle Dockers after the axing of Mark Harvey. With a purple Dockers tie around his neck, a defiant Ross Lyon faced the media, adamant he had nothing to do with the noose placed around Mark Harvey's. Uh, Ross, do you feel you've stabbed Mark Harvey in the back? Not particularly, no. I've been headhunted by the Fremantle Football Club. Uh, certainly taking through a PowerPoint presentation, the club's resources, their future direction and what they want to achieve. Harvey was sacked yesterday afternoon after Ross Lyon secretly negotiated a four-year deal with the club. The move totally blindsided the Saints and Harvey. No, not at all. Not, not my memory. Probably. I was like, what's the feeling? Thank you. What's going on? Because we obviously love Ross and what he's done and what he, he did. It was... And obviously politics involved. I think Ross has come out and told his story. I think he met not long ago about it. And yeah, sad times. But like I said, oh, waits for you. You're going to sort of move on pretty quickly. And yeah, definitely changed a few things. And they started trading a few players as well to other clubs. So it was a bit of a ripple effect. And then all of a sudden, because you've been up high and then you don't make finals or you lose the first final, they start talking about this rebuild, windows finished and all that. Yeah, weird times. And you go. Yeah, because 2012-13 to me is a very interesting time. So Scott Waters comes in as the coach and he seemed to have a very interesting and innovative idea. But just in my opinion, it seemed like his coaching style wasn't really vibing all that well with the playing group. I mean, 2012, you were competitive, but you, you still missed the finals. And then 2013, I think you finished second bottom and he was moved on after those two years. What was your view of Scott Waters' time at the club? Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming along. Very important announcement for us today, and we have the dawn of an exciting new era, right, with the appointment of Scott Waters, right, as our senior coach at the St Kilda Footy Club. We're very pleased to have uh, Scott on board. It's exciting for all at the club, and uh, supporters, members, I'm sure, are looking forward to a very successful 2012. And congratulations, Scott. Thanks, Mark. Look, yeah. <clears throat> it is exciting. Um, it's a group that I've admired from, a, I guess, a, an opposition competitive point of view for the last two or three years, their, their spirit. Um, so now to actually be a part of that uh, and have the opportunity to work with that. St Kilda have sacked coach Scott Waters. Waters was under contract for 2014, but after a review of the club, he was sacked this morning. Waters was in charge for two seasons, but the Saints managed just five wins in 2013 and ran 16th, with reports of a rift between the coach and senior players. I want to announce today that the board of St Kilda Football Club met this morning and came to the decision that Scott Waters would no longer be our senior coach. We have had a tough few years. While there have been a lot of on-field success, we faced the heartbreak of getting close three times without bringing home the ultimate prize. In announcing today that Scott is moving on, I want to acknowledge that our club is going through a considerable period of change. When I became president on 6 September, I received the strong support of the board to make the changes necessary to see our club into this new era. Some of those changes have already commenced and there will be more. Oh, 
I look motored, hard. If I've looked back now again, now I'm older and been around it a bit more, you, you look, I think coach taking over another coach that's just like the team with a grand final twice, and then the final series, and obviously players moved on, and then the rebuild conversation happened. So obviously that's any challenge for a new coach coming in. So he obviously wasn't dealt a good card there, but Bolt showed it was, was hard for him and, and didn't quite get it done. And we talk about players getting a bit older and banged up as well. We've got to deal with that. and It was a tough time for the people. Your first nine seasons in your career, you played finals, but then you didn't play finals for the last four years of your career. you disappointed that you didn't get to play in a lot of success later in your career. You speak about how you got a lot of success early with the premiership. Do you think you would have appreciated a bit more later on in your footy life? Hell yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Not that I didn't appreciate it at the time. You just, well, you probably don't as much as when you're older. But that's one thing I look back on and I, and I wish I could have finished because you're so, you're just more experienced, you understand, and you take it all in. And as a kid, as I said, you're just playing. And I played final my first year. So that, this is the norm. And I was lucky enough before that I won five grand finals in a row at my local footy club. So I thought, well, finals is normal. But then you get older and you realise you come to the end of many games of footy left and finish an 18th on the ladder and it's sort of hard to deal with. And you're looking at young guys coming through and come on, let's, let's fast forward here and get back in there. And, and it doesn't happen. And like I said, you can be greedy. And uh, I understand I'm lucky what I did, played 22 or 24 or whatever it was, but I would have loved to have finished and played the finals. Talking about the other end of the spectrum, because not many players get the opportunity to play in finals, let alone grand finals and you played 23 finals and five grand finals now i know you got a lot of early success but you only won one of those five grand finals do you have the mindset of being part of that 05 flag and being a premiership player is there also that aspect of yeah i did win a flag but i could have won three or four like what's what way do you kind of look at oh, it i definitely think yeah i could have you know been three four times premiership player but then i sort of smacked myself in the head yeah, well, you look at yeah, someone like uh, another one's Matthew Richardson, one of the greatest forwards, yeah. but he only ever played three finals. There you go. So then I sort of wake up and go, well, geez, my, the AFL game is brutal and with some lucky players and you can always live in the what-ifs, but you got to look back and just say, hey, I was, I was very lucky. And I, I don't ever question that. I know I was very lucky to be part of some very good teams and very good players. So, yeah, look, in the dream world, fairy tale world, you win five premierships or whatever, four, and you play in a lot of finals with fairy tales of kids. <laughs> so 2014, Alan Richardson's the coach, and it's the, the rebuild starting. You finished bottom that year. You were delisted at the end of the 2014 season, but then redrafted as a rookie for 2015. Now, was that negotiated with you in the club? Was that a mutual decision? Oh, no, I wasn't. I was just sort of coming to my end. And like, when the clubs get to that stage and they're rebuilding, they sort of happen. The older players can get moved on a year or two earlier than if they weren't rebuilding sort of thing. So, look, I was still fresh in the mind and I had a discussion with Richardson at the end and I'm also a believer and you can't get rid of all your older players at once because young guys need guidance and need help and experience around them. So, yeah, no, I had a chat and, and like I said, I had, you're a long time retired and that's so true. So I was hanging the play. I was one of the play. They would have had to, you know, really show me the do it. So, conversation with Richo and he was honest. I was wondering to look back and appreciate he was honest. He said, look, mate, we're not going to give you spot on the list. We're going to try and draft and recruit. And, but if there's an opportunity, you'll be on the rookie list. And it was hard to swallow, no doubt, because I wasn't sure if I just played my last game or not. And then you just 
had a coffee one day and he said, yeah, we'll we put you on the rookie list with no guarantees. You just got to go out there and give it your best. And that was enough for me to motivate me. And I went on and, and got fit as I could and, and played the first 12 or whatever it was, as, as you could as a rookie. But then when, halfway through the year, they have to take you off the rookie list. Things always want to change or whatever it was. So, no, it was good. And, and like I said, I started really enjoying teaching kids and taking you know, young Jack Loney under my wing, who I knew was going to replace and just sort of passing the knowledge I could. And 2015 did end up being your final year. When you knew that it was time to finish up, is it sad? Is it relief? Were you sort of over it? Did you want to give it up? What was your emotion like after 14 years in the system? Yeah, well, look, I think, like I said, I played there for a while. The body started getting sore and it was hard to train. It was hard to keep playing. I just got towards the end and I think it was sort of, I was showing the door as well. Like, I wouldn't want to go on. But I knew I just didn't have it in me. The body didn't have it in, and the body got the clogging, soft tissue injuries, and he got did 18 hamstrings and five calves, and both thumbs operated on, both feet operated, both shoulders. So it's sort of the body sort of screaming at you, and then I'm just sort of they said, well that's it, and I said, all right, it is what it is, and, and move on. And I was lucky enough, like I said, I know fairy tales made the kids, but I was lucky enough to have one last game against Sydney Swans where I started my career and finished off there with all my family and friends watching. Yeah, and you kicked a couple of goals in that game, if I remember. Yeah, I got a couple of them. We lost by about 98 points, but we won't worry about that. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll leave that, that detail out. Just as we're about to, to close up now, injuries are something that, that impacted your career. It impacts a lot of players' career, particularly later on. In your last four seasons, you never played more than 15 games. What is harder on an athlete? Is it the physical or mental toll of injuries? It's a great question. I only played two seasons, I think, where I played every game out of 14. So but I had a lot of injuries. The injuries, they don't hurt you. Well, they hurt a little bit, but it's more the mental that takes part of it. It's more the mental side of going through rehab again by yourself sometimes and, and doing them sessions. And it's probably rehab. Like I look at injuries now, I'm still suffering from a few things, and every player do. Like my shoulders cooked, I can barely throw a ball. My foot, I limp after I, if I run, kind of cracking my navicular on the top of my toe and on top of my foot. Well, that hurts, but it's probably the mental side of things. To do everything while you're injured, while you're playing footy, that's bloody hard. There's days you're getting out of bed, and, and your mates are out there playing footy, and that's what you're paid to do, and that's what you love doing, but you can't do it. You know, knock back up, and knock back, and really affect up. Must be a pretty lonely place when you're sort of in rehab and, and you're watching the boys out there. It is, and you go through moments, and probably the worst is when we were doing rehab one time, and I was coming back from the calf, and you have GPS systems in your back to watch how much you run, and... I think I could only do two kilometres for that day. Normally you do 10 to 12 every session, but because I was coming yeah, back wow. and running along and I, I remember doing it, I was probably going 50% and I felt my calf pop again and I'm just like, just lost it. I grabbed my GPS and they're probably worth a thousand bucks each. And I think I threw it about 150 metres away as far as I could and just cracked it and, and walked in. So they're the moments you just got to, like, they're hard to get through. But you just, like I said, you've got to learn the super script and that's why, you know, the good physios and that now, they... I understand the mental side of it. And they, they make sure they try and help as much as possible and they deal with little emotion and stuff. It's bloody hard telling someone they can't do what they love doing. And I suppose you, you still had a long career. You know, we're there 14 years, over 200 games, five grand finals and premiership. Like, it's it's not like it hindered your career to the point where you had to retire because of it prematurely. Yeah, no, I definitely not. And, and I think I've probably come across like I'm a bit of a sourpuss in this, this chat, but with everything that's gone wrong, but... I, I look back and I just, like I said, I pinch myself how lucky I was 
just to experience the AFL and to play one game of footy would be enough. And I'm not stupid, I, I know, and I, I totally understand that. I was very lucky and a lot of people would have given anything to have that opportunity. So I'm forever grateful for that. Respect it. It's definitely hard. Positives and it's negatives, but, yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world right now. If someone said that to me, that you'll do this over your 14 years, you, you jump at it in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to finish on your terms a little bit, but yeah, there's definitely lingering body issues. But as I said, that's part of footy. I feel very lucky to experience what I have. Shines, just as we're about to close up now, I've got three last questions for you. Who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best oh, player God. you ever played against and why? And I probably don't need to ask this, but I will anyway. Who's the best coach you ever played under and why? Yeah, right. Well, I'll give you Ross Lyon as the best coach just because of his honesty and relationships. Best player I played with, and that's the hardest question I could sort of answer. I can probably ask you, I could give you five players and you pick one. If I threw Robert Harvey, Lenny Hayes, Adam Good, Michael Lockenberry, or who would you pick? I think the best player out of that, like if you if you were making a team and you had to pick one in their prime, you'd probably go Robert Harvey. I mean, he won two Brownlow medals, just an unbelievable midfielder. But in terms of impacting a game in a big final or something, you'd probably go with maybe Barry Hall over Nick Revolt just for the fact that he won, <laughs> he won a premiership, whereas Revolt yep. didn't. Yeah, that is that is very Adam hard question. Won, Adam Goods won two Brownlows in membership. You know, yeah, won. yeah, and there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, so yeah, but what, yeah. I, what I will say to you is, is I sort of sum it up in, in Goods is probably the the player I've seen change games of footy over a 10-minute period, the quickest. Lenny Hayes is the most inspirational player I would ever play with. He just made you taller and you could go to war with him. Nick Rewalt is probably the most hardest and Robert Harvey most hardest working player in a game of football where he just grinds his player into the ground and you just know that bloke is into a really long day. The more you think about it, the more you I realise how lucky you were. You played with some unbelievable oh, yeah. players. So lucky. I sort of got dragged along the journey and I, I, I acknowledge that. I understand that. I was only just, you know, probably an above average player, but yeah, I was so lucky, mate. We just been part of some good organisations and good teams, you know, as well. So... Yeah, it's a good pipes, good footy club at the time. So. Yeah, hard to answer, but yeah, it's a hard one to answer. And then probably the toughest opponent would have been Jake Akimelisak, who played on him my first year in, in the back pocket. I think I kicked a couple and Lee Matthews might have sent him to me to tag me. And I remember after that, I had bruises all the back of my elbows. And he sat there and pinched me for a half of the game of football and tested the hell out of me. He was difficult in that sense, but then uh, Adrian McLeod is by far the hardest. I've ever had. I was playing on a forward flank and he was playing on a half back and the was like I was tagging him. He was just silky. He could run. If I ball watched for one second, he was off and running, hogging in a dump spot. He was getting the handle received. So you had to be on your toes the whole time. And one on one, he was very good. I'm glad another one. Schneids, it's been great to have you on the show. I really respect you and I really admired you as a player. All the best with everything you're doing with your coaching and also with your family, your wife and kids. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast tonight. All right, mate. really enjoyed it. You're enjoying the chat. Thanks so much. And that is a wrap for another episode. I trust you enjoyed this conversation and I thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. And I'll catch you all on the next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast.